This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Daily Digest on the Bigger Picture. I'm Hezra Lashraf alongside Juliet Jacobs and Dachran Johan in the studio. So it's probably happened to a lot of us before. We send someone a message on an online platform and we expect or hope for a reply SA. ASAP, especially if we're talking to someone, you know, on a dating app, for instance, you know, we might get anxious or get the butterflies in our stomach. Now, in the workplace, it might be the other way around, right? We might get a message, uh, either a work email or text message, and feel the pressure to reply as soon as possible. So we thought we'd find ways to tackle the anxieties that surround online messaging and better take care of ourselves. Yes, and, you know, in line with that, with, you know, talking about all those different anxieties, we're asking you, how long do you usually take to respond to messages? Mm. So your options are as soon as I can, or when I'm ready, or it depends on the sender. So uh, join, join us in that conversation. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can send us a WhatsApp message at 018-789-8899 or you know if the option is not there tell us exactly you know, how, long yeah. you, how do you respond yeah yeah so i read an article the other day on the conversation and this was written by australian psychologist david uh, david cowan and basically he talked about how there's an unwritten social contract when it comes to online messaging interactions right so that people expect a timely almost instantaneous uh, response for certain messages um, whether it's work tests uh, work texts or emails, for example, or even texts from our partners. And even in the dating world, people look forward to receiving a reply ASAP uh, when they are on an app or website, especially when they are looking to secure a date. Mm. Now, he said that if we don't receive a reply, we start getting anxious and we might even start bombarding people with more messages to solicit a response or to look out for that blue tick <laughs> if you are on WhatsApp. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh gosh. Anyway, um, but you know, that's, that's really true. And in fact, psychologists and academics have loosely termed this anxiety, quote-unquote, texting anxiety. And David, you know, the psychologist you mentioned earlier, Dash, he writes that research has suggested that, uh, and I'm quoting him here, some people who are highly emotionally reactive and use text messaging excessively may actually feel rejected, isolated, and suffer deep anxiety when replies to their messages are not immediate. Mm. Uh, also, you know, to your point on, on read receipts, Dash, uh, mm-hmm. they could may actually make things worse uh, according to David, he writes that a lot of people also have a tendency to look at when the receiver is online, right? So if they're on, then they're ex- probably expected to reply to the message there and then, right? You look yeah. <laughs> see online. Or, oh, dear. <laughs> um, and when it comes to dating, uh, delayed responses could give the sender the impression that they're being ghosted. Uh, so, you know, for, for us non-millennials here, <laughs> the, uh, that the person... I am a millennial. <laughs> How dare you? Sorry. Uh, so for the the person being messaged, so ghosted, right? The person being messaged has already been reject uh, has already rejected them, and are going to ignore them permanently. Yes, and separately, there are conversations on how texting anxiety affects the receiver, particularly in the workplace. So there's this pressure, mm. right, to respond immediately to work emails and messages, and we've sort of covered this across the station in the context of working from home, right? Yeah. Um. You know, when those boundaries get blurred between work and personal space, it can be really hard to set a boundary um, and employees may feel the pressure to have their phones on Mm. them at all times. So I'm curious, I mean, uh, do you both feel anxious waiting for a reply uh, or feel pressured to reply immediately to, to a message? 
I know, I know I speak for all three of us and we've all done this when we're texting our guests and we can see them online and they haven't responded to yes. us. Yes. We really start panicking, right? Yeah. Especially if we're working on a deadline. Yeah. Um, so those are the times that I get anxious. Or, or a blue tick. Oh, blue tick. I've, I've seen that before. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, see, you can see them <laughs> online reading your messages and disappearing for an hour. Gosh. Yes. But, yeah. yeah, actually, that, that blue tick thing, right, for me especially... Uh, <laughs> Like, I used to get quite anxious about it, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, previously, um, maybe a few years ago when WhatsApp, you know, just started and we were all on it. And then when the blue tick um, function came into play, I realized that it, it initially was exciting, right? You know, you get to see whether people have read your messages. So, you know, maybe. The, but what it actually did for me was I just get anxious, like, oh, my God, why they have seen the message, but they have not replied. Mm-hmm. Why this and that? And also on the other side, right, sometimes you're not maybe you're not in a good place to uh, to reply a message or you're you're feeling tired or whatever it may be right and and when the blue tick is on you don't want people to to know that you've already read the message yeah. <laughs> but you haven't replied so like one of the best things i did and it really made a big difference was disabling blue tick mm, so okay. it's like i don't know whether you have read my messages you don't know whether i've read yours just reply whenever and uh, you know I, I think juliet and i have been waiting to ask you to uh, this dash because um you know dating apps and uh you know like um <sighs> do you feel do you feel worried that uh, you know someone someone you know just would would ghost you if they don't reply for you know a certain amount of time? Is is that like is that different than you know like Juliet was saying like messaging versus messaging a guest right or yeah. or feeling the pressure from work? I think for me, I'm at a place right now where it doesn't matter. Mm. So like if let's say I'm on a dating app and we are okay. talking and someone and the person doesn't reply. Um, it's either I will like you know just take your time to reply, or mm. if they don't reply for a day or two, I'm just like okay, whatever. You're not interested, you know. We can find someone who is interested, where who wants to mm. engage in the conversation, right? So I think I'm fine. But I do have to share that there was a point when I was in high school, right, <laughs> 15, 16 years old. I was one of those people that maybe it's like insecurity, a lack mm. of confidence on my end, various factors, right? If I send a girl a message. Yeah. And, you know, we are having a conversation. Then suddenly she doesn't reply for five minutes, 10 minutes. Mm. And immediately I'll send like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, Yeah, you know, like, did I say something wrong? I I apologize if I hurt your feelings. And when you actually just think about it rationally and look up, there was nothing. It's just a normal conversation. Mm. She Mm. probably went to do the, you know, to do house chores or something. can be something, you know, she's just not checking her phone. Just live her life. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it it really affected me. Mm. Uh, So one one thing I found... um, Throughout the uh, COVID nineteen, throughout the pandemic, right? And I've I've read a few articles on this. I've personally um, have actually ignored certain certain um, friends. Sometimes, I mean, I, I would ignore them for days and only get back to their messages uh, later because I feel like sometimes I just don't have the the mental capacity. headspace, the yeah. capacity. I don't know if either of you have faced that. You know, oh, like definitely you, like that exha- that exhaustion, right? Yeah, because I mean, you're really dealing with so much, and this. Um, I guess for us as well, you know, we do a lot of work on mm, it, and mm. there's also personal family stuff comes. Sometimes it just gets too much. I just put my phone away and don't yeah. look at it, especially on weekends. You know, when I can use that excuse of <laughs> like I, I need to focus on other things. Um, it really yeah. did wonders mm. just not to look at the phone, right? Yeah, yeah because. Nowadays, I, I do. I too have to make this, you know, sort of active decision. Like, okay, to now, just put my phone away. Mm. Doesn't matter who messages and yeah. and all, right? But 
I, I think it's just that, that climate that we're living in right now, right? This idea, I think most of us are on WhatsApp where everybody can just interact with you at all times. You can see who's mm. online and it's just there in front of your, you know, of your face, the list of contacts and yeah. all that. Compared to before, where I think, you know, if, if you don't, after school, for example, if you go home and your friends are not with you, you don't text your friends. Like you just yeah, exactly. you just wait to set, uh, share stories with them the next day, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you see them. Or if it's something so exciting, then you pick up the yeah. phone and you have a conversation. Good old days. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas he now, looked I, at me when you said that. You know, no, I'm no, this is for all of us. Feeling attacked. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now, I feel you know, it, it's whether it's work, whether it's friendship. There's just so much. You know, everyone feels the need to, you know, like even myself included, you know, mm. if I see something, if I eat something or oh, I need to share with my friends mm. and we all just keep, you know, like we need it now, now, now. Yeah. And I think that just adds to the anxiety. And sometimes I will go, I will realize that it's the end of the day and I have like 20 unread messages. Mm. They are buried at the bottom. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't reply this. You know, and it's just this continuous thing every yeah. day. It's a lot, right? And, and you know, on that note, to uh, look at ways we can navigate all of these anxieties, um, you know, uh, dealing with headspace and, and what we can do. Uh, we've got social psychologist um, Elaine Fernandez on the line. Elaine, thanks so much for joining us today. So um, generally speaking, uh, you know, what's, what's the cause behind uh, texting anxiety? You know, why are people anxious to receive a reply instantaneously, so to speak, after they've messaged someone online? Okay, so texting anxiety can be sort of manifested because when we text people, we are sending things out into sort of the ethos without necessarily knowing what's going to come back. It's very different from face-to-face communication because you don't have any visual cues you don't even have any audio cues to know how the person is necessarily feeling at that point in time. So in the absence of relational information like that, um, we start to fall back on our own assumptions and our own perspectives about what it means to not text someone back. So when you think about your own behavior, and usually texting anxiety uh, manifests in people who uh, are themselves quite anxious about replying texts, So for them, they know that if they don't reply a text, there is usually a very good reason for that. Maybe they're trying to avoid the person or they're trying to avoid the conversation. So we apply our own mental schemas about what it means not to reply a text to the other person who might have a completely different way of looking at it or seeing it. So somebody might just be busy, but we think because when we don't reply, we don't want to reply. Uh, we make that assumption and we put that on the other person. So um, that can increase anxiety above and beyond what it should be at that point. All right. And how does this translate to other situations? So, for example, when two people are interacting on a dating app, uh, would you say it's the same with online dating versus when a person is asking someone else out in person? Yeah, so... Um, the butterflies in the stomach you're going to get anytime you're experiencing evaluation apprehension, essentially, right? So anytime we ask someone to ask someone out, we are essentially putting us, ourselves out there to be evaluated as whether we're worthy of a date or not. So we are already having that anxiety, regardless of whether it's online or in person. But in person, usually we would ask somebody out when we already have 
certain cues that we interpret as that person being interested. You know, that person has been having conversations with us a few times. Uh, they've made direct eye contact. They've smiled at us. So we have all these cues to work off of. And when we ask the question, we're not going to be waiting 24 hours or more uh, to get a response. So that doesn't actually build up on the anxiety of whether this person is going to say yes or no. It's kind of like a quick kill either way. But in the case of online dating, uh, it's still the same thing. You're, you're, you swipe on someone you think is attractive. Um, you put a message out there to say, hey, do you want to grab a coffee? And then you're left hanging for a good period of time, right? And in that period of time, you start to ruminate over, did I say hello correctly? You know, was there something about my profile that's suddenly not very attractive? So you start thinking of all these things that maybe would not actually factor in. Some people don't enter their dating apps um, very frequently throughout the day because it's not so appropriate to go into Tinder while you're at work, for example. They might not have push notifications, so they may not see your message until they get home at night. So there's all these other possibilities, but because of the evaluation apprehension that comes with uh, asking someone out that you find attractive, uh, we start to come up with all sorts of other scenarios that um, may not actually be really relevant, but seem really real to us because we need some reason to explain why we're feeling anxious. And would you say this is unhealthy, you know, to expect uh, people to reply as fast as possible? Or can we blame it on the pace and luxury society has sort of succumbed to, you know, um, fast internet speeds, convenience and those sorts of things? For sure. Um, it's definitely unhealthy to place any kind of communication expectations in somebody else, especially when you have not clarified with them what their usual MO is. So um, typically, if it's somebody who is consistent at replying and then suddenly they fall off the grid, that's a, that is maybe an indicator that maybe you should check up on them. But otherwise, um, especially with new people, um, expecting quick communication just because we have apps now on our phones uh, is unreasonable for a variety of reasons, simply because you know people have other things to do in their daily lives, uh, work, housework. Some people are looking at the kids. Some people have other commitments. Uh, even at the gym, some people don't like to take their phones out. So it really depends on the individual, what their schedule is like and what their own um, rules of replying messages might be. Because some people are very clear, you know, um, I have a 24-hour, 48-hour response time. Um, just because I've seen your message doesn't necessarily mean your message is a priority given the other things that I have to do. So having those expectations is somewhat unrealistic because uh, our lives are not in our phones. There's actual things happening around us that do warrant our attention. So something to keep in mind. All right. On that note, well, we do have to go for a quick break. We're speaking with social, social psychologist Elaine Fernandez uh, about texting anxiety and ways we can address it. When we come back, we'll look at how uh, we can tackle it you know, in places like the workplace as, as well as more. Keep it here on the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9.
Welcome back to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm Hezra Lashraf alongside Juliet Jacobs and Dashran Johan. We're looking at texting anxiety today um, and ways we can better look after ourselves when it comes to expectations around uh, replying to messages, you know, whether we feel pressured to reply to them or get anxious when we expect others uh, you know, to get back to our messages immediately. Yes, and um, on that note, we're actually asking you over on Twitter. We've got a poll running and we're asking you, how long do you usually take to respond to messages? So your options are as soon as I can or when I'm ready or dependent on the sender and if we haven't covered how you know you usually um, respond to messages yeah. <laughs> let us know you know reply to that tweet um, but you can also tweet us at BFM Radio or send us a WhatsApp message at 018-789-8899 That's right so we're going to check back on the poll later on but for now we're going to continue our conversation with social psychologist Elaine Fernandez Elaine thanks for staying on the line with us now before the break we touched on why people get anxious when they send a message and don't get a reply instantly as well as why this is the case right but let's take a let's look at another situation with texting anxiety and this time at the workplace so work from home has been a big adjustment for a lot of people and we've talked extensively about the blurring of boundaries between work and personal space so why do we feel pressured to reply to a colleague or our boss instantly and have our phones within arm's reach uh, all the time um, I think there's partly that, and it's not even a case of I want to show I'm doing work. It's potentially the blurring of the boundary between work and home life uh, as it stands. So I think we all saw across the last year the fact that you fo- we often forget once it hits 5.36 and we still keep working until a time where we realize, oh, I haven't had dinner. So it's partly that psycho- the lack of that psychological boundary between uh, what is work and what is home life. Um, but also sometimes the expectations created by organizations, clients, and so on, that as long as you are available via, via WhatsApp, and I can see that you're online, um, why are you not responding to me? So it's not even a um, subtle message anymore or an expectation, an implied expectation. For a lot of people, this has become a, an actually verbalized expectation. You know, so as long as you're online and you're on email, you should be replying uh, to my messages. And this has sort of crossed some boundaries as well, right? But even when people are on leave, uh, as long as they have their phone with them, they're expected to respond to work messages. And that's a cultural issue, not just a psychological issue on the part of the individual. Because if your company is expecting this of you, um, you're going to be concerned that if, if I don't reply my boss while I'm on leave, that's going to come up in my performance review, you know, or if my, so I'm going to be concerned that if my colleague uh, is replying with, while they're on leave and I'm not, there's going to be a comparison made between my commitment to my work and the colleague's com- commitment to my work and I'm going to come up short. So there's a lot of pressure that people feel to respond to work-related uh, messages or emails as and now that emails are on our phone it's even worse because you're expected to have push notifications for your work emails for example and these are things that people feel they can't run away from it adds to that pressure of um, needing to be contactable all the time and all hours so how can we perhaps address our anxieties and respond to our colleagues and bosses in a timely manner, but without feeling like we're incessantly being chased down to prioritise work all the time? And um, on the flip side, you know, what can people who are messaging um, do to address this issue? 
Yeah. I think um, one of the ways that we can try to make this a little bit more of a um, reasonable experience is through communicating what those boundaries are for us. So um, for the people who have told me, for example, uh, oh, I have a 24-hour response time, I have a 48-hour response time, one of the things I know not to do is send them a follow-up within that time frame, for example. Um, it's only after that time frame has passed, then it becomes appropriate to send a follow-up message, for example. So having the people that you work with or clients or whoever it is that uh, you need to respond to, be aware of what that would look like for you given the uh, commitments that you have, then that's one way to sort of minimize the anxiety on there and about why you're not replying yet. You know, they're not wearing you can miss the email and so on. And they know that if you don't reply after 48 hours, you might have missed the email and therefore it's then appropriate to send a follow-up. So setting those boundaries um, is important. Um, of course, there are unreasonable employers out there, but most employers and most colleagues, I think if you let them know in advance that you know I might not be uh, available from 6 p.m. onwards because I have X, Y, Z to do, I, if I get a text from you, I'm probably only going to be able to respond the next morning. Um, these are things that we can already put into place so that people know that this is our communication pattern, this is our response time, um, and therefore not to create all sorts of imaginary scenarios as to why we're not replying in that period of time. Right. Now, um, separately, you know, this pandemic has exhausted people mentally. And to some extent, many of uh, people have, you know, ignored messages uh, from people close to them, right? And they don't feel a sense of urgency to respond. I mean, do you, do you find this to be normal? I mean, how, how do we reconcile this situation with the fact that, you know, we're constantly still attached to our phones pretty much all day? So um, I think we sometimes forget that online interaction is still interaction. So if you think about how potentially tiring it could be to be around your friends all the time in person, right? Uh, and concentrate and have these uh, intimate messages and, you know, people telling you about their problems and you, have, you telling them about the, your, your problems. In a real life setting, we leave after two hours and we go home and we enter our own private space. And because we've had those two hours, our friends typically know not to then send follow-up message for the next two hours. But online, because there isn't that boundary, we are constantly engaging in interaction. And that can take a lot of energy, a lot of our emotional resources that we typically would have time to rebuild you know, when we have our off time and we're not with our friends. So when it, everything is online, that's another line that gets good. And so by not responding to certain messages or by taking time out for ourselves, uh, whether it's watching videos on YouTube and going down that rabbit hole or just scrolling or, you know, liking things but not necessarily wanting to talk to people, that's us having our downtime. That's us having that space to sort of... Uh, regenerate the social energy that we need in order to then go back to responding to those messages. So remembering that the online space is still a social space is very important in helping us realize that 
we cannot expect ourselves to do online what we would not do offline because we haven't changed as a species yet. We've not evolved yet uh, to be able to accommodate the constancy of the online world. So um, giving ourselves a bit of a break and cutting ourselves and each other some slack when people sort of disappear off the grid for a little while, I think is warranted in this new way of communication. Elaine, how do you think we can do our best to continue staying in touch with our friends and family while also avoiding any exhaustion we might have from online interactions? I'm sure we don't want to regret cutting those who are close to us down the road, you know, whether intentionally or by accident. So again, that is about communication. Similar to the workplace, um, if you need some downtime and you know people are going to be worried if you suddenly disappear from a conversation, then just, you know, sending me one, two-line message to say, hey, guys, I'm really tired. Um, I kind of need a little bit of time for myself. I will get, I'll, I'll jump back in once I feel a bit better, but um, I think I could use a, a day or so to just center myself or something like that. You know, so just basically giving people a heads up as to where you are because um, that can be genuine worry when people fall off the grid, especially today when, there's a lot of concern about mental health, about um, how somebody is doing, if they're isolating themselves. So these are things that are genuine concerns and are not sort of test- texting anxiety where it's unreasonable, for example. So maybe just keeping in mind how the other party might perceive a sudden absence is something to um, work on and maybe just let them know, okay, I'm not going to be uh, communicative for this period of time. If it's an emergency, let me know then I will respond. Otherwise, I'll just give me a couple of days before I jump back into the conversation. So it's doing that thing of letting people know and then allowing them to respect the space. And Elaine, you know, there's no denying how much our phones have become a part of our lives in so many ways, right? And of course, as the tech advances, um, it's being used for so many things. I mean, we can now uh, stream movies and music from it. We can read articles, even hold our Zoom meetings on it. Are you concerned that being glued to our phones could have a potentially detrimental effect on our mental health? Um, yes and no. I think the phone obviously has made it possible for people to connect and communicate in ways that we never could before. And I think for many people in this pandemic, it's been a lifesaver. But um, obviously, that can be too much of a good thing. And over-reliance on anything is not going to be healthy, um, especially if you think about it from a um, an addiction perspective, for example, or the phone starts replacing your face-to-face communication even when there it's possible to meet somebody face-to-face. So once we start allowing online communication or telecommunication to replace in-person relationships, then that could become potentially problematic because there's a lot of things that we cannot get from a, an online relationship that we can from an in-person relationship. Uh, physical presence is huge because um, people underestimate how important physical touch is, for example. Just being able to give somebody a hug. Um, the spontaneity of what you can talk about offline uh, is very different than what you talk about online because a lot of people have what they might see as minor problems throughout the day that they may not feel comfortable texting their friend about because then it becomes a, a whole litany of 
problems that you're telling your friend, which if you went to the mama, all of that would come out, you know? So the, that so having that space to sort of let stress out in a way that's a bit more organic is something that an online situation cannot replicate, at least not yet. So being overly reliant on our phones might actually prevent us from getting the kind of social support that we need and that is more appropriate um, for us as human beings at this point in time. And that can have more detrimental effects on our mental health because we're not seeing the small things that we're not able to let go of uh, throughout the day in a way that we would if we were seeing people in person. So I guess what you're saying is that we should, at least once in a while maybe, make the effort to meet up with people physically. Yep, 100%. Now, uh, Elaine, would you have a final message for us to, you know, coexist with our phones without um, necessarily piling more anxiety on ourselves, right? Uh, especially when it comes to online messaging, whether uh, that's at, at work or, uh, you know, in our personal lives. I, okay, so I think very much in line with what I've been saying is um, understand that the online world and your phone are not this, are not able to replace face-to-face communication and also not expecting communication to be or ourselves to be different online as compared to offline. So if you're the kind of person who gets really tired of social interaction after an hour, for example, in an offline situation, that's going to be the same you that is spending six hours texting their friends because they feel obliged to respond. So that person is going to get incredibly socially exhausted after doing that. So recognizing that you're not different as a person online versus offline and treating yourself with the same kindness and compassion that you would uh, after you've met a friend for two hours and going home and just vegging on your couch and not wanting to talk to anyone. That's perfectly fine, perfectly normal. You're not... uh, bad human being for taking two hours to respond to somebody who might want you to respond in two seconds. So that's one thing to remember, just because somebody expects a response doesn't mean you're obliged to give a response if that's not where your mental space is at. Um, On the flip side, for the people who are anxious about other people not responding, if you really are concerned, especially if it's somebody that you're close to, maybe have that conversation with them and, and tell them that, you know, them not responding straight away is causing you a little bit of stress. So if they could tell you what their usual MO is in terms of their texting behavior or their email etiquette and stuff like that, um, then at least you know not to worry if you don't hear from them, for example. So these are things, small things that we can do. Uh, it requires a little bit more open communication when putting yourself up there, I guess, because, again, the online world is not as rich as the offline world. You can't see facial cues. You can't get the sense of the person's emotion. So it's important, therefore, that we are more straightforward in our communication and more willing to engage the other person constructively um, so that both parties are aware of the expectations and boundaries that um, each person has in that relationship. Hmm. And on that note, Elaine, thanks so much for speaking with us today. That was uh, social psychologist Elaine Fernandez, and she was uh, talking to us about how we can address um, texting anxiety and from both ends, right, for people who are sending the messages and Mm. those who are receiving them as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, I think we covered quite a lot of ground, didn't mm. we? Um, a lot of factors contribute to our expectations for others to reply instantly to our texts. Um, yeah. No thanks, of course, to the way that society has just kind of gotten so fast paced <laughs> and is really you know used to this idea of immediacy. Um, but I'm glad also that uh, Elaine addressed the opposite of texting anxiety, and that's people ignoring their friends and <laughs> yeah, family. Yeah. I'm totally yeah. guilty of this out on social media because they're just simply burnt out. Um, you know, they just don't have the energy to respond. Yeah, I, I mean, just just a quick story like my. My, um, I, I messaged a friend and he didn't reply to me, yeah. and and uh, it gave me perspective of you know how I should stay on top of at least uh, you know saying that you know um, I just need some personal space or you know saying yeah. that you know uh, I just need some rest. Maybe we can catch up in person like that. Yeah. That helps. That does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know we asked you over on Twitter whether uh, you know how long you usually take to respond to messages. So uh, so far about fifty five percent of you have said that it's dependent on the sender. Mm. I, I guess you know that dictates <laughs> how quickly or slowly you respond to someone. Another twenty seven point five percent of you have said when I'm ready, and another seventeen point five percent of you have su- have said as soon as I can. Yeah. And uh, we've got a couple of WhatsApp messages. Uh, one, I think this was in relation to what you were talking about earlier, Dash. Um, he says that I think with the blue tick off, uh, it's the best because then me, both me, the sender and I won't be so anxious. Yes, yes. best decision ever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, someone else also texted in to say, I wonder why WhatsApp doesn't have an offline mode feature. You know, sometimes mm. reading through various messages and then the phone keeps buzzing with messages coming in. I guess it's just a lot to take, isn't it? Yeah. That was my problem last year because, mm. you know, everything, you know, we weren't in the office together, right? And every community communication was on whatsapp oh, or email yeah, that yeah. constant beep i had to mute everything yes. just to be able to function it just drains your energy it yeah. does yeah so yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that so i think i think if you have like depending on when your phones are released you can um i think ha- like set certain times when it's on complete i think do not disturb mode yes, something like right. that yeah. yep. so it doesn't vibrate it doesn't beep yeah. it's just it just stays silent yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> except for your morning a.m <laughs> clocks of course yes. you know for work but yeah. that's a whole other story <laughs> Well, uh, that's all the time we have for today's show, uh, you know, but you can keep sharing your thoughts with us, you know, uh, tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a message on WhatsApp at 018-789-8899. Uh, alternatively, you can head to our Facebook page uh, called BFM The Bigger Picture to drop us a message. As always, if you missed any part of today's conversation, you can download our podcasts at bfm.my forward slash daily digest or on the BFM app, uh, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or pretty much wherever your podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Now, uh, coming up at 3 p.m., do stick around because Juliet is going to hang around for another episode of Good Things where we speak with good people doing good things. Yes, my favorite. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah. Yeah, my favorite line to say. <laughs> also my favorite segment of the week, yes. you know, yeah. after everything. Um, yes, and I'll be speaking to George Fernandez and his niece, Elvina, Fern- Elvina Fernandez, mm. sorry, um, from Uncle George Bakes. So George actually runs a online business selling okay. pastries mm. and he had to do that last year because, um, you know, due to the pandemic, he lost his job. Oh, wow. But the thing yeah. about George is, um, you know, all the... Practically all of the profits from his uh, from his proceeds from his um, profits, he uses that to feed the homeless oh, and wow. to help. Um, especially now with the pandemic, there are even more people homeless and you know without jobs. And you know he personally goes down and helps them and you know gives them money and mm. food and um, on a daily basis. So wow. we're going to catch up with George and just yeah find out about another good person yeah. doing good things. Some feel good Friday vibes. That's so stick around right. for that. Once again, I'm Hezra Lashroff alongside Juliet Jacobs and Dashran Johan, and you've been tuned in to the Daily Digest. On The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes.
BFM 89.9, The Business Station.